It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Episode 56, Getting the Extra Step Over Opposing Counsel with Court Data and Analytics. My conversation with Nicole Clark of Trellis. Nicole is the co-founder of Trellis. She had specialized in business litigation and labor and employment matters, representing multinational corporations in high-profile trade secret disputes and complex class action cases. Nicole's idea for Trellis was born late one night as she was trying to write a complicated motion for summary judgment. She didn't know much about the judge assigned to the case, which left her unsure about how to structure the document. That's when a colleague let her browse through his old case files, where she stumbled upon a past ruling by her judge on her issue. Nicole felt like she had a detailed study guide to a final exam. She won her motion for summary judgment and everything changed. With the help of a few software developers, Nicole began aggregating state trial court data to use in her own private practice, slowly accumulating an ever-expanding database of tentative rulings by the judges in Southern California. This helped her solve her own need for access to state trial court data and analytics. Nicole used these rulings to structure and organize every motion that came across her desk, weaving the facts of each case into the types of arguments highlighted by her specific judge. The results? Her motion practice grew. It became obvious to Nicole that there was a massive opportunity to build a thriving, scalable legal analytics platform, one that would help democratize access to state trial court data, and she wanted to be the one to build it. Thus, the creation of Trellis. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Just a quick shout out before we start. Are you enjoying the TechSavvyLayer.page podcast? Consider giving us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast feeds. Also, consider buying us a cup of coffee or two from the link on our blog to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks, and again, enjoy. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I appreciate you being here. And to get things started, what is your current tech setup? Well, let's see. I am in our office. We are fully remote in general, but we still mm-hmm. have office space since we used to be in an in-person company pre-COVID. And my tech setup is laptop, dual screens, Apple, and then cordless mouse and keyboard. And then technical, but I have a gong here. To waiting for accomplishments. <laughs> okay, that's funny. So, is is your laptop? Is it is it an Apple or is it a Windows machine? It's a MacBook Pro with an Apple. And is it uh, does it have an M1 or an M2 chip? You know, I'm not the important engineers, so no, I don't have that. And I actually, you know, turned over to Apple probably a couple of years ago, but I was one of the last holdouts at the company. Okay, over to Apple, but. It's been an improvement. I understand why people like them. Well, uh, then, you know, not to encourage spending money, 
you really do need to check out the M1 and the M2 chips. They are, they're really fast. I've had no compatibility issues. And I'm going to ask you uh, perhaps a slightly silly sounding question. I can get that alliteration out. You have for the business a Apple business account. You know, I do have an Apple business account, especially because we have engineers that Mm -hmm. need laptops and it's Mm -hmm. just made sense. And it's made it really easy when we need to get new equipment. So yes, we do have one. And so you know that they've got a great buyback program. No, I don't know that. Tell me more. So based on how old your machine is, of course, also the condition of the machine, you may be able to sell that in exchange for a new one and get some good credit for it. Is it the most amount of credit you can get for it? No, but it does take out a lot of the back and forth and worrying about, you know, if the person actually going to pay me and proper disclosure or or reinstallment of the whole system so that all your stuff is wiped out. Of course, I would encourage you to, you know, wipe your stuff yourself. But, you know, you are the boss. And interesting. So the two other things I'm going to leave you with on this okay. on this part of the conversation is one, check out a podcast called the Mac Power Users. I'm sure the audience is just tired of me constantly referring to that every time I come across a Mac user, but it's a great podcast. It's done by David Sparks and Stephen Hackett. David is a former attorney. When I say former attorney, he just quit his law practice as of the end of last year after 25 years, if I get the number right. Wow. And he's a content creator okay. for Max Sparky, which is also a great site to look at for Max stuff. But, you, you know, they don't talk about like Max and law. They talk about Max and everything that you could possibly use it for. And they talk to different types of creators and users, whether it's photography, programming. Uh, actually, I don't think they've done a lawyer one yet. I, I, I kind of pitched myself to them once. About, you know, yeah. you should have a lawyer on <laughs> But you you learn a lot by osmosis. Some of it's a little bit over your head. Some of it's you know obvious. Some of it's like I never knew that. And it's just a really great uh, podcast to listen to. The other I'm going to recommend is MacRumors.com. It's not a podcast. It's a site, and they're okay. really good at the development cycle of different Apple products: iPhones, iPads, computers. The heart, you know, the, uh, the the headphones, the AirPods was the word I was looking for. The AirPods. And it gives you a good time of like, you know, buy now, mid-cycle, or wait, something new is coming. Oh, so that's I use that a lot when I'm upgrading uh, my hardware for the office and for the 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 blog as well. I got to end up getting a Mac Studio with an M1 Ultra chip that is just blazing fast. And wow. since I'm trying to get into more content creation in my night job, it's been a great resource. So th- those are my uh, my three friendly suggestions. You said you have a dual screen. Do you, so do you have two different monitors and the laptop? I do. I do. I said it's a bit overboard. No, it's not. No. I really like the space. I really yes. like it. Yes. So wait, how big is your, your laptop? Uh, is that 14 inch, 12 inch, 16 inch? Uh, it's 15, I think. Does that make sense? Yes. So the the MacBook Pro is 16 inch right now. Okay. So you might find that uh, it's what I have when I travel. Yeah, the Mac is Studio. Sometimes the heavy gets me. It's not. I mean, I don't know. You know, I know a lot of people like to travel with like a MacBook Air because, mm-hmm. you know, they're light, they're a pound or two. But this is maybe four. Four to five pounds, and I, I don't, I personally don't have a problem. But then again, when I travel, I either use my wheelie travel bag that ideally fits under the, the seat in front of me on the airplane, okay. or I have a weight balancing backpack. But I, I prefer the wheelie typically because you know the back. Who needs that? Yes, 
I do know that. So tell me, who makes your dual screens? The dual screens are LG. Okay. They are, well, they are the unofficial Apple screens. I think that's how the Macs are made. And since I got into uh, to content creation, I also got an Apple XDR, you know, the expensive $6,000 32-inch screen. Ooh, those are pretty. They are very pretty. I've got that in front of me. And then I got two LGs, two 4Ks in front of me, left and right. Wow. So you so, go big. <laughs> yes, yes. And I'm having fun with it. Trust me. So uh, anything special about the mouse? You said it was a trackpad. Is it the uh, Apple I trackpad? actually don't do a trackpad. I do a, oh. a physical oh, cordless me. mouse and physical. They're both Mac and right. cordless keyboard as well. Now, uh, do you have the keyboard with the... Actually, I guess you don't have the keyboard with the I don't. The I have a tiny one. Oh, uh, okay. So yeah. Whoops. You got the yeah. time. Well, they do make the they do make the fingerprint ID on Apple keyboards for the or or the short ones as well. Oh, that's so cool! I didn't know that. You're teaching me all kinds of new things. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what the blog's all about. And the blog does. So, but you have to have an M1 chip, and this okay. really comes in handy. And when I was when I first graduated high school, I had a job, a part time job for a couple of days. I was an office temp because long story short, you know, I just wasn't able to find a job, um, yep. but they kept me busy. And because I knew how to use a computer and I knew how to type, they kept me very busy. And I taught myself keyboard, the mm-hmm. uh, sorry, uh, numerical keyboard, excuse me, the numerical really? keyboard. And it's, it comes in really handy when you have to put in certain data. Absolutely. Yes. Just there... actually use it. But I tell you, Apple keyboard, mm-hmm. new laptop computer. Yep. Just don't send me your bill. Is there anything else in your office that you might like to share with the audience? Let's see. The The desk is a stand-up desk. Okay, good, good. Now, I don't use standing up as much as I should, but I mm-hmm. like having the option, too. And what, so do you have like a, like, what kind of chair do you have? I think they're all um, like autonomous or something don't, like that. Don't know that brand. Yeah. Several years back, I invested in a, a Herman Miller chair. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, the, the investment. Thing. That's a, yeah. that's an actual investment. And it was worthwhile. I My wife and I went to an Airbnb during COVID because we were really just you know tired of just being at home. And, and I was working at the kitchen table all week while we were down there. And it was a wooden chair. And every day when I kind of stood up and whatever, I was like, oh, my God, I can really feel the difference between the two chairs. Yep. Um, but it's it's a worthwhile investment. So that all being said, let's get into the questions. Sure. Aside from Trellis, what are three AIs attorneys should be using in their work today and why? Well, I think it's going to depend on the the particular practice area, the particular type of work that an attorney does. But I generally, since I was a litigator, think about things from a sort of litigator's perspective. So one, I would say, hands down, you need to be utilizing AI for in tools for your e-discovery. That's just a must-have, should not be doing discovery reviews by hand or one by one in documents. Even if you go one by one, allowing yourself to sort of the computer to aid when you can key in on documents that might be important or that are similar to something else that you're looking at. So e-discovery for sure. I think some of the the one the platforms where you can load up trial briefs mm-hmm. and it will scan the case law for you and bring up okay. recommendations. I think that's really interesting. I think that it's something you'd, you'd want to watch and you'd want to, you know, look at the cases and make sure. But I think it could really save you time depending on the the platform. I think for 
for any sort of contract management, there's a lot out there now that's come a long way. But that, again, it's going to depend specific to sort of what you're what you're doing, what what contracts you need to be drafting, how many, what volume and then what provisions and all of that. So I think there's some really good AI contract management. Um, platforms out there as well. Recommendations for each category you just mentioned? Ooh, let's see. Uh, for e-discovery, I think Disco does some great stuff. I haven't been, oh, uh, Logical, I think, does good work. I'm not heavily into it anymore, but I know those two, and I know that they're doing some really interesting uh, work, and I've used both relatively recently and and can uh, vouch for both. I think that uh, Case Tech's it would be an example for Kara, which is the sort of load up a, a brief and it will analyze the case law within there. And I think that actually Lexis or Westlaw just built out something that's competitive to that. Am Lexis, I right? did. Lexis, did. Lexis did. I'm not okay. sure about Westlaw, but I, I'm a Lexis subscriber and I, I've tried to use it a couple of times. Um, what do you- I, I, I don't have an opinion yet. Uh, the, okay. the one time I remembered to use it, it was it was a very short something that I wrote and it had like maybe two case law references. It said didn't have enough case law references to make any suggestions. I'm like, okay. Um, interesting. Yeah. So it's always, it's always the interesting thing is at the moment that you try out new technology, is your use case going to be the one that sort of matches what the functionality of the right, platform can be? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, so that's, that's so, that can be luck there. It's just, it was just a little, little frustrating at the time, but it was easy to use. And, you know, when I have, it depends on the type of brief I'm submitting because a lot of the briefs I submit are usually to agencies, uh, in particular the Department of Veterans Affairs, that don't necessarily need extensive research back because the common cases are usually the same and nothing's been updated in for a while. <laughs> yes, that makes sense. Pardon the interruption. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Consider sharing this show with others. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your download feeds. If you're listening directly from our blog, consider buying us a cup of coffee or two from the link on our blog to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks again and enjoy. Anything for contract management? There's a bunch out there. I'm not going to be able to vouch personally, but I know some of the founders are doing interesting work. Um, Mm -hmm. I think... Kira sold recently, doing a lot. I have to think on it more, but I did just think of one other area, which is mm-hmm. interesting, which mm-hmm. was, again, from a litigator's perspective, but for table of authorities, table of contents, yep. to be able to generate those automatically, I think is a huge time saver for attorneys. Uh, and I think Clear Brief is one that does that. Well, can't, I mean, what's wrong with using Microsoft Word? Maybe I'm missing a point. That you don't have to, you don't have to do it. It does it for you. So it basically pulls out and then automatically cites to the actual portions of the exhibits that you're citing to or the portions of the cases. So it just takes away some of the work that you have to do. <laughs> Creating a header? No, not the header, the actual table, the table of authority. So citing no. to the oh, fact. No. Oh, the cases. Okay. The cases, exactly. Citing to exhibits and to a particular case law. And the interesting thing there is that it can actually, it will, it will attach to it all of your citations. So the actual cases, or if it's fact statements, the depositions or whatever the case may be. And just make it super simple for the judge to be able to look directly and confirm that it is what you say it is. Uh, Of course, if you have a problem where the judge has to check your work, uh, that could be a problem. (laughs) You've got that well, reputation. There. Yeah. Uh, although I, and, you know, it's funny, my clerks have always like, why do I have to check case law? 
I mean, mm-hmm. it's cited. I'm like, because trust me, I've done it myself where I've seen other attorneys cite to something and it either be not what they say or not just completely wrong. Absolutely. And I, you know, I was like, first thing you got to do is check their case law because if, if something's not quite right. And mind you, I tend to go against the government. Okay. So I'm not saying that they're being deceitful, just sometimes they can be lazy. I wasn't going to say it. I'm glad you said it and not okay. me. But. <laughs> well, since since but I yes. sue the government, you know, uh, you I, 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 could, I could say that. Excellent. Yes. So let's move into question two. What are three things Trellis does better due to its use of AI than its competition? Well, in general, what we do is we're a state trial court data and analytics platform. So think of Lexis and Westlaw as being your sort of court of appeals research. Mm -hmm. We do the same thing on the state trial court side. So aggregate separate individual county courts where you'd otherwise Mm -hmm. have to go on county court website and make it searchable across counties across states from a single interface. So on the one hand, the um, basically the pure ability to have the data and coverage that we have is due to our technology and the scalable ability to bring on so much data. And the reason that we're able to do it and what makes us better is because when you think about it, if you think about going onto a, a county court website to uh, look up a case, well, every county does it differently, right? So you're going to have a personal injury case type is going to be set a thousand different ways. And every county that says it, they'll call it PI or personal injury or PI plus 25 or whatever the case may be. So part of what we need to do with all of this messy, raw, unstructured data is really create that structure. And that's something that a human really wouldn't be able to do. Um, So we figure out, classify this data, which allows us to structure it, which then allows us to use algorithms to predict information. So really, it's the classification of the data. It's the normalization, classification, and sort of understanding and the ability to deduce meaning out of the data because it's otherwise just unstructured and unuseful in its current state. All right. Well, that's one. Okay. Two more. Two more. Uh, specific to AI. I think it's the, the search algorithm itself, mm-hmm. right? Pulling up relevant information. And that's an interesting one because that's one where you can actually continuously tweak to raise better and better results as you watch, watch what people are searching, watch Mm -hmm. what pages they stay on, recommendations. So there's a lot of really interesting work that we do to make sure that search results are relevant and that you can find information and highlight information. Because I think I would say that one of the things that attorneys struggle with is actually just too much information. It's Mm-hmm. There's so much that it's difficult sometimes to determine what's actually going to be the best use of your time. And so how can you bring results kind of like Google, right? You want the result that you want to come up in the first three things that you click into. And so how do you make that better to save attorney's time? Well, let, let me ask you this. So for your sure. search criteria, is it sort of like a bowling kind of search? Uh, it is. Path that you so create, it's, or? it's a... It's natural language and Boolean. Okay. So okay. Um, basic Boolean, everything that you're used to on sort of Lexis and Westlaw, but combined a lot more with natural language. So what you might really, I, I like to describe the way you search on Google would be very similar to the way you search okay. on Trellis. Westlaw Next is another example. Right. Okay. No, actually, it's just one, one, one to have an idea of the feel for how you have to do the search terms versus, you know, some sort of complicated or semi-complicated, you know, language that the user would have to learn. And it's good to hear that they don't have to do that with uh, Trellis. It's, so it's very, very true. Yes. Um, the it, In fact, 
it's sort of a, a goal here that, you know, if you know how to use Google, then you're going to be able to know how to use Trellis. We know how difficult it is for people to take time training themselves on new technology. So we always work to try to be better and be more intuitive and, and get people to results faster. Well, not just just the time, but also the fear. Tell me the more. Fear of, you- well, I mean, because people are like, they're used to doing something the way they've always used to do it. Attorneys are the worst when it comes to that. They don't, you know. <laughs> It is very true. Yes. What is this researching online stuff? I I don't know. I'm not comfortable with that. I think it took, it took years. Yeah. You know, or, or typing your own, you know, your own briefs. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, who has a secretary anymore? But it's true. You know, it's. I think it, that puts away their fear of having to learn something new in the sense of having to learn how to utilize the product. Yep. That because that creates because that creates hesitation, and that's not good for you because you want them as a new client. Absolutely. Anything to lower the barrier. <laughs> so number three? Number three. Uh, number three, I'd say our, our judge analytics. So part of what we do in gathering all of the state trial court data is provide analytics on specifically how state trial court judges rule. Mm-hmm. And we go across a, a whole variety of sort of surfacing information on state trial court judges from how many active cases they have to the outcome of their cases by case type all the way down to really granular information, like how they rule on specific pretrial motions. And that is absolutely in a large part to our, our ML team that constantly works there. And then, of course, we have humans check it over um, because there they're, they're always, they're always is um, the machine can sort of get you 80, 90 percent of the way. And then the human right. can help to continue to make it better. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Could you explain this concept to me? What what's a human? I'm still working on that one. It's a lifelong uh, journey to figure out. Do they still exist? Excellent. Who then would you recommend to, f- to find this kind of information, this type of database, when it comes to federal courts? I would say on the federal court side, one the the nice thing is that it's structured data. So anyone who is layering analytics on top of it is going to have an easy time to begin with because they start with Pacer, which is one unified structured right. data set. I think Lex Machina does a great job on the on the IP, on the federal mm-hmm. side. I know that Lex has acquired a few people, Lex Machina being one of them. I think Ravel earlier uh, was doing that as well. I'm trying to think who else uh, does judicial analytics on the federal side. Because um, I've seen nobody. Am I missing someone? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, because I'm thinking about like my Lexus use and they don't go that deep when it comes to different judges in particular cases, et cetera, unless I'm missing something. Uh, mind you, my work typically doesn't go in that direction, but it yep. would help. That's on the federal side too. That you don't see them. No, on the federal side, I just, I'm not familiar with anything, any program similar to Trellis. Yep. You know, maybe there's a hint for you to consider expanding <laughs> Trellis to state versus federal. Yeah. Um, Interesting. But, but um, I, I will, you know, earlier, I guess I was giving you ways to spend more money. Um, this would obviously be a larger investment. So I, I don't want to be accused of anything. Um, we but definitely I, plan on, on rolling out in the federal space. I think the idea first is to take over the state trial court space right. where there's never been a, a single search platform to begin with, mm-hmm. um, with the idea that maybe there were a lot of other players in the federal side, certainly providing data. But it's really right. interesting here that you don't think there's a, a great solution doing federal judicial analytics right now. Well, I, I, maybe you misheard me. I don't think there's any. I love not just it. a not, not just a great, but about. there seems to be like a nice uh, platform for you to consider entering into. All right, that's awesome. I, I right. like that. That's interesting. So for our third question and our last question, 
What are three things about AI you think attorneys should be keeping an eye out in the future? In general, I think that we're, we're at a good place where um, there's a lot of good data being collected that will allow just a, a ton of analytics in the future. We're not uh, we're not there yet where it's they're cleansed, normalized data sets, uh, but I think that we're getting closer. What I would say is almost in, in the way, for for instance, we're working on lawyer and law firm analytics. So think of the way that we do judge analytics right now, but the ability to look at your opposing counsel, see all of their cases, how many of them do they settle? How many do they take the trial? How many do they win summary judgment motions? Do they not, right? Really deep diving in both individual lawyers, but also law firms in general. So that's just sort of one piece of uh, imagine a world where you're going to be able to have insights across the board, both in in your own work, but also competitive intel on the the folks that are your opponents as well. So I think that's a really exciting thing that's coming. And generally just the ability to almost almost everything that we're utilizing is collecting data on us. And at some point, some of this data now, a lot of it's obviously being sold because we're the product. But there's a lot of ways that this data can actually help us to make better products and can provide information back to us to work more efficiently. And so I'd say that's something that I, I really think is coming as we move forward. Well, that's one. Uh, any other suggest Any other areas you think that we should be keeping an eye out for? I think in general, you want to think about ethics, right? There's a, there's a lot of questions. Now, I think AI has got a long way to go um, before these become real questions. Right now, they're kind of philosophical questions. Okay. Which are, is there something unethical about having an algorithm highlight certain case law to you? Um, an algorithm bring up sort of whether pre predicting whether you might win or lose. Is there information that might be surfaced to some people that isn't surfaced to others? I think there's a lot of interesting sort of philosophical questions there about whether and how much power we give algorithms to even, even I take Google as an example. Mm hmm. We're only shown the information that we're shown. There's right. there's an ethical question there about is it really an even playing field? What are the different different information that's being surfaced to different people? I think those are things to think about. I don't think that we're at a place right now where we need to do anything other than talk about it, keep an eye on it in general. But still, in the end, isn't it the attorney that makes the final decision that they use the information they get from the algorithm and whether or not they need to figure out whether to investigate more, or if this is the proper source, or some other third consideration. I, I guess in my mind, I can't understand why it would be unfair for an attorney to use a particular program or a particular algorithm, or use Google versus Yahoo, when yeah. all of it is accessible. Now, for some of it, obviously, you may have to pay for it. Resources are a question, sure. Right. Which, but, you know, unfortunately, we're in a capital society that if you can pay for it, you can take it and or use it. Yep. But you know, and then of course that goes back to whether or not. Well, what about the lower economic individuals who can't afford, you know, the attorney, let alone uh, access to a database, let alone understand how to use it because of the lack of education. Which, of course, uh, you know, we could those could go into a variety of different ways in our discussion mm -hmm. on that issue. But let's move on. Do you have, you have one more to answer? One more. I'm going to pull them out of you. Okay. Uh Data analytics in general, um, or, or you know, any AI, or the interpretation of you know whether it be you know AI in your writing, AI that's a in, one right now. 
sorry. Just from, uh, that, that's a huge one right now. So we can talk about it uh, in terms of content creation. So AI sort of generative content is something that is getting a, a lot of uh, interest right now. I think it could be an interesting piece where one of the things you're, you, you create content. Um, content is part mm-hmm. of what helps you feed a business, right? And right. getting full and it can be lead generation and can help to establish yourself as an expert. I do think that more as it, as it gets better and it looks like it's getting much better that people will be able to utilize AI to generate content so that it's not only them, which will now you're relying on the internet. Right. <laughs> on everything that the internet that has been sort of uh, swallowed up there. But there is a lot of legal information on the internet. And conceivably, you could have basic drafts of things created and then a lawyer continue to review and say, yes, I want to put my name on that. Uh, right. No, I'm going to do this. Right. And I think that there's, there's good and bad to that. I think anything that saves attorneys time where it's actually going to help the client um, or they're utilizing it to bring in clients where then they can do the work for them. I think that will be a benefit. But but it still comes down to, in the end, the attorney has to review what are the draft yes. maybe, what other research is done, yes. uh, whatever is going out. You know, it still comes down to the attorney signing off on that document. I'm of the belief that that will always be the case. Some people believe that attorneys will be taken out of the equation. I do not believe that for a second. I I definitely believe better tools. We will all continue to have better tools, but I do not think that there will be a full-scale replacement of attorneys, simply better tools to continue to advocate. Now, I think some areas of law are a little more susceptible to automation right. than others. Um, but I don't see a universe where the attorney is is taken out of the loop. I, I agree with you. But then again, I may be a little biased. I am an attorney. I, so. we, we all may be biased. <laughs> so no one could replace us. You know, we, we shall see what happens. Yep. Well, Nicole, I want to thank you for joining us. Tell us, where can people find you? Absolutely. So they can learn more about Trellis at trellis.law slash search, and they can just get on and start searching for fun stuff. Um, You can find me on uh, LinkedIn at Nicole underscore A underscore Clark and also on Twitter at the same. Excellent. Well, Nicole, again, I want to thank you for joining us and you have a great day. Awesome. Thanks so much. Great being here. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at Michael DJ at the page. Have a great day and happy luring.